If you brought your copy of God's Word, open with me to Matthew chapter 10. We're going to pick up where we left off last week and come close to finishing chapter 10 this morning. We're going to look at verses 32 down through verse 39. It's kind of a section that's in, wrapping up some of the, um, what might be thought of as some of the harder statements of Jesus, some that we oftentimes uh, fail to re- uh, reckon with, to wrestle over, and to think through, but as a result of looking very closely at God's word over the last several weeks, we've been able to encounter them, and today is uh, no exception to that. Um, over the past several weeks, uh, we've seen that God's saving of us is for the express purpose of sending us out into a great harvest of lost souls. We've been seeing that very regularly. Uh, we now refer to that, by the way, as the Great Commission, right? And we're going to see that when we get to Matthew chapter 28 of this Great Commission that Jesus has left with his disciples, with the church. Uh, in doing this, Jesus dis- uh, describes us as his disciples. Remember what he said in particular to those 12 that he was sending out as sheep being sent out into the midst of wolves. And as such, we as Christ's followers, in learning to obey all that Jesus commanded, that's kind of connecting us there with Matthew 28, need to realize, we just need to realize that persecution or slander or ridicule or shame or the loss of friends or the loss of standing in some particular place or the loss of whatever it is that one must lose for being publicly identified as one of Jesus' disciples, whatever that may be. We, we just need to come to grips with the fact that that is inevitable. And this is why it's important that we remember the very important truth that we looked at last week, and that is that we are of great value to God. God values us as his children greatly, And whatever he allows to touch your life, whatever that cost may be, it's for your good and for his glory. The question is, is do we believe that? Do we believe that? Do do we believe that we are to be sent out into a harvest of lost souls, that there will be persecution that's going to come because of his name, and that he does whatever he does, and it's good, even if that's an affliction or a persecution or a loss or shame or however that comes our way, that's for his good. We need to be people who believe that. But, I mean, the reality is, is that to a certain degree, we all have an inherent fear of man, don't we? I mean, we do. I've felt it on many occasions when standing in the gap and needing to be the, the guy that, that makes a stand. I've, I've been there on more than one occasion. I know that feeling of fear of man, of potential persecution, of particular loss, and it's a real thing. And those two concepts, by the way, are not mutually exclusive. The idea that we recognize that when we go out into the harvest of lost souls that we are going to be facing some sort of persecution or loss or, or shame or whatever that may be when we publicly stand for Jesus, and that we can also have fear at the same time of doing that. Those don't have to be mutually exclusively. They can coincide together, and it seems that Jesus, being the God-man who has tried in every manner that we are yet without sin, 
understands our very weakness. Because you may remember last week um, how he showed us how we could win over fear. How we could be winners at overcoming that fear of man in face of whatever persecution or rejection or whatever it may be because of this message that we are so attached to um, so that we can most effectively live out the calling of being witnesses, of fulfilling a great commission, of hearing someday the well-done, good, and faithful servant. Well, what are those servants to be faithful to? Well, there's a lot of things that we can be faithful to. That's without question. And we could list a, a, a litany of those things that we could be faithful to, all of which do not include facing the fear of man and of potential persecution for being a public witness. You know what I'm saying? Are you following me? Is it just me that's kind of lived this pilgrim's progress? I've, I have a feeling every one of us is walking in the same shoes here and have, have felt to a certain degree or another what that's like. And so in Matthew 25, later in Matthew, when we get there, um, we see the well done, good and faithful. And here it's uh, oftentimes translated servant, but in uh, the um, Greek it's just doulos. It's we're slaves and we have a master. And so our master, Jesus, gave us a great commission. He, he gave these disciples that he's sending out um, a a prelim commission before making it the great commission, but we are to be becoming fishers of men as a result of making a choice of our heart and mind to believe in Christ and to be followers of his. And in doing that, honestly, it can be scary. I mean, just, it is. It can become scary. The intuitive thought of knowing that it will cost us something. I had, a, I had a good friend when I was living in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, many years ago. Um, he was an, an older gentleman that uh, befriended me and when I became a new pastor at, at the South Hills Bible Chapel. And, and uh, for, the, for the, the most part of his life, he was an unbeliever and he lived like that. He was a very successful attorney uh, in Pittsburgh, PA. And um, and he lived a very um, uh, glamorous lifestyle. Um, when I met him, he was still living in his 14,000 uh, square foot home in Upper St. Clair, which means nothing to you, but it's the creme de la creme of the area. In other words, this man was extremely wealthy. He retired from that uh, when he was 45 years old. He had already been so successful. Well, he had treated his wife so poorly, um, she left him, and they were divorced, and he was, um, he was that guy. Well, he got saved. He got saved when he was about 50 years old, and he went out and he, he went out and he got his wife, and he took the he did the hard work of winning her heart back again, and he labored in that, and he won her heart. And so when I met him, they were remarried, and he shared that story, and it was a really fantastic uh, story of the amazing grace of God. Well, um, this man, um, he was, um, you know the passage that says, he who um, is forgiven much loves much? He knew that he was one that was snatched from the pit of hell. He loved much. 
And so everywhere this man went, he couldn't help but be a public testimony for Jesus. He would set appointments. He would call up judges that he, would, that he had presided cases before. He, he would call them up and set appointments with them on their calendar for the express purpose of getting before them and letting them know that he was a new man, that he had come to faith in Jesus Christ, and he would share the gospel with them. He did that with other attorneys that he had had interaction with. I'm not joking. One day I got a phone call from his wife. And she says to me, she says, Ben, can you please do me a favor? Well, yeah, of course. How can I, how can I be of service? Could you please ask her husband, could you please ask him to stop sharing Jesus Christ with everyone, everywhere we go, it's costing us all of our friends. Every time we go to dinner with a couple, that's the only thing he can think about doing is talking about Jesus. And we're losing all of our friends. We have no one to go to have dinner with. I said, well, you can invite me. <laughs> I'll go. Lisa and I are ready. Right? Um, and I said to her, I said, listen, I, that's one thing I cannot do. This man's heart was converted. He was saved by grace through faith alone. And he understands the depth of, from which he's been saved. And he can't but help share what he knows is true. How can you slow a man like that down? But you see, there's a cost. She was feeling the pinch of that cost severely. Cost didn't matter to him at all. And so I think we in that I think we kind of can step into their story and understand a little bit of what we're talking about here. But we must remember that what our Master taught us uh, that He has sent us purposefully out into a harvest of lost souls. Listen, that's why He said, "You're the light of the world." We all agree that when we look into this culture in which we're living, we see a darkness settling over the land. You know what I'm saying? a moral decay settling over the land, we're feeling it. You're the light of the world. He has sent us out to be the light of the world. That's, that's the whole purpose. This Christianity and church on Sunday, it's not a social club. I mean, it's, we have a particular purpose that God has called us to. And we have to be those who recognize individually that this, this is what God has called me to. That's why I said a couple of weeks ago, if when you came to faith in Jesus Christ, this wasn't the kind of idea of Christianity that you were signing up for, well, Jesus, remember the guy who said, Lord, I will follow you anywhere you go, but first, I got some family matters I got to take care of. Let, let me go tend to my family matters first and then... Jesus was like, no, that, that, that's not going to work. And we're going to see in our passage today, he's going to talk about that thing. He's kinda, he kind of brings up the reality of the hard cost of what it is to follow him. And we all have inherent fear. And so again, last week, he gave us three basic, simple principles to help us. He knows that we're fearful. He knows that it's going to cost us. He knows that it may hurt badly. And so he reminded us of some certain truths last week. Listen, a disciple uh, is not above his teacher. He's going to be receiving the same treatment that the teacher is. Are you certain that you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Like Joshua of old, you have to choose you this day whom you're going to serve. If you're going to serve the Lord, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, we just have to understand and embrace the reality that there is a cost to following Jesus. There is. 
To pretend otherwise is to have our proverbial head in the sand. So Jesus lets us know that and says, embrace this. Embrace who you are in relationship with the only true and living God. And then he told us that to have a healthy fear of the Lord, a fearing God, a fearing the Lord, is going to dispel lesser fears of man and of self-preservation, right? When we, we're going to have fears, but we have to properly appropriate fears. Do we fear man who can kill the body alone? Or do we fear him who can kill the body and cast the soul into hell? So it, it's kind of a very stark uh, contrast because we're, we're going to have fears, perhaps of both. And so he's showing how the fear of the Lord is to be a greater compelling reason for why we do what we do instead of the fear of man. Oh, and there's great reward with the fear of the Lord too, right? But not with the fear of man. So Jesus kind of lets us know that, listen, make certain that you're rightly fearing in your life. Fear the Lord. Let that compel you to go and be a witness. And then he reminded us of just the Father's love. And that perfect love does what? It casts out fear. You're of greater value than all the little birds of the land. And God, he knows when every one of them falls to the ground. It's just a simple analogy to let us know that you're, he said you're worth, m- m- worth more than many sparrows. God's eye and his, his particular love for you is far greater than that. And he doesn't need, in every little sparrow, this, these worthless little birds, when they fall to the ground, the father is, is knowledgeable of that. How much more is he knowledgeable of you, his child? And it lets us know that God loves us infinitely and, and perfect love should be that which starts to cast out fear. And so Jesus <clears throat> shows us that, that there is going to be fear involved in living for Jesus, but he gives us some very practical help for how we can overcome those fears. And so in our text this morning, he continues with some of this hard teaching of his and in our context, we're going to see that Jesus is going to show us why that, that's so critical to rightly understand these truths. Uh, the first thing we're going to see is that when we fear God and not man, it will help us to openly confess Jesus to a lost world, irrespective of the cost. This matters a lot. Notice verse 32 and verse 33. Notice how critical this is. He says, therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Can you see why it's utterly critical to understand that the fear of the Lord is to trump the fear of man? And pressing through the fear of man is not only the right thing to do, it's the imperative thing to do and the urgent thing to do. Jesus has just sent out his disciples to do what? Well, he sent them out into the harvest of lost souls for the express purpose of confessing him before men. And he knows that that's going to be a fearful thing to do. Uh, They've been sent out to preach the gospel of the kingdom, to do signs and wonders, right? Right? That, that was the express thing for which he sent them out. And here Jesus has now expanded, notice this, he's expanded this confessing ministry to all would-be and all professing believers. You see right here? You see this word, everyone? Therefore, everyone. It's like this all-inclusive statement, everyone. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men. 
I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. This very inclusive term should arrest the attention of all would-be desires of becoming followers of Jesus, who, as a result of deciding to follow Jesus, realize that Jesus is going to specifically call you out to become fishers of men. It's inevitable. It's the old saying, you can run, but you can't hide. Christianity is not just a um, spectator's sport. He calls us to action. And this should challenge the everyone. See right here? This should be a challenge to everyone towards self-examination and of asking ourselves the question, is this true of me? Is this true of me? Am I a confessor? Because to the degree that anyone is willing to confess Jesus, Jesus says that he in turn will willingly confess them before his Father who is in heaven. And it seems like that that would connect with a couple of weeks prior of this idea of this eschatological ending of standing before the Father and being welcomed as one who's accepted as one of the beloved children of God. But if you deny Christ... He will do the same before his Father who's in heaven. This word deny here, this, is a, this combination here is a tough one to say. This is the R sound, R net, oh may I? And then it's just a, it's an awkward one. My Texas accent sometimes has a challenge with particular um, Greek words, and this is one of those. But this is our, our Greek word for deny. No, to say that one does not know about or is in any way related to a person or event. And it would seem that in this context, it seems to fit anyone having previously identified with Jesus when in the face of potential persecution and or ridicule, not confessing Jesus but turning away instead when the cultural heat gets turned up. And it also seems that such denial is at play when so-called believers choose to live in silence about their faith in Jesus, having instead become comfortable becoming a, an unnoticed Christian to the world of unbelievers. The very people to whom Jesus, the Master, has sent us to be confessors. Listen, it's one thing, and we've seen this uh, a couple of times in Matthew so far, it's, you know, the old wipe the dust off your feet? In other words, wipe the, du- they reject your- wipe the dust off your feet. Or the other one where it says to not put your pearl before the swine, right? The evaluation of when is enough enough. But the thing that, that happened prior to either one of those happening, the, the, the wiping the dust off your feet and moving to another city, or the not casting your pearl before the swine, what happened prior to either one of those happening was that first we were confessors. These disciples were confessing and professing Jesus to be the Lord. They were preaching the gospel of the kingdom. That message got rejected, and as a result of that rejection and a cause that might follow, they wiped the dust off their feet, moved to the next city, and they stopped putting that pearl, that precious pearl of the gospel, before swine who would just trample it underfoot. But what happens before that is a confessing ministry of the gospel of Christ. 
as the Lord gives opportunity. And so it's important to understand that this denial that Jesus speaks of here, this, isn't, this is important to understand. This isn't the momentary lapse of insanity that believers are prone to experience. Uh, can you think of Peter? How many times did he deny the Lord when asked, do you know him? I do not know this man. He denied the Lord three times. Peter then went out and he wept bitter, bitterly over his denial of Christ, right? And we also know that Peter went on with his life to continually be one who is a confessor of one who is preaching the gospel and one who eventually suffered a martyr's death because of his ministry of confession. So this can't be talking about the momentary lapses of insanity where we, like Peter, perhaps sin because of the fear of man. But if we are perpetually living a life, a secret life of Christianity in the closet, and we never confess Jesus before men, I mean ever, I think we have due reason to give consideration to what Jesus is teaching here. Amen? It's just, it's, it's just the simple logic that flows from the teaching that Jesus gives us here. This isn't, this isn't like the, the deep teachings of Paul that are sometimes hard to understand. This is very low-lying fruit but it's fruit indeed that the Lord, he spoke and we need to taste and see if we like its taste. You see, it's abundantly clear from this passage that Christians are to have to some degree a public ministry of confessing Jesus to a lost world. And I'm not going to stand here and tell you how exactly you're supposed to do that. But I do know that those who love the Lord and who seek the Lord, that the Lord directs their steps and that the Lord opens doors of opportunities. He's going to put me in different places than he's going to put you. And he's going to put you in different places than he's going to put me. But if we all go out there together understanding that we are to be the light of the world, whenever we, get found, whenever we find ourselves in that gap, we need to stand there and deliver. Whatever that looks like. No room for silence. Now, you've heard me say this before, and I'm going to say this again because I want to make this very clear. We saw a couple of weeks ago, Jesus isn't saying, hey, I want you to go out there and, and, and jump on the sword, right? He said, be, be as shrewd as vipers. Use wisdom. Use wisdom. When you go out there as sheep amongst the wolves, don't go throw yourself into the teeth of the wolves. Right? I'm not saying purposely go out there and be really brash at your place of occupation and get fired as a martyr for Jesus. I'm not saying that. You need to use extreme caution and wisdom, and God will direct your steps in that. But you need to realize that wherever you work, there will come some unique opportunities, some unique moments, however, however small or large they may be, depending on what you do, where you will know, you will know that this is a moment that God's given me to stand in the gap. And when you're in that gap, deliver. Amen? Have a confessing ministry. Because in that moment, when you don't deliver, and then you do that again and again and again, I think we have to say, are we... Are we in silence, a, a, a denial of science, silence? 
is he going to deny me before the Father someday? Every opportunity that he gave me, I kind of shied away from and moved on out of fear, fear of man, fear of persecution, fear of shame, fear of loss, whatever that may be. And it's real. Jesus knew it was real. And so he gave us very simple ways to think through why we can overcome the fear of man. Amen? And so we need to know this. Remember in, in Matthew 28, the Great Commission passage that expands even broader than what he's doing here with these disciples. It says, go make disciples. That involves a ministry of confessing Jesus. Making disciples involves that. And it says, and teach them to observe all that I've commanded. There's a teaching ministry. We, and so we, what are we looking at? We're looking at what Jesus is, is, this is what we're doing this morning. We're looking at what Jesus has commanded. We're looking at Jesus' teaching towards his disciples. And so when you make disciples, you take Jesus, them to the words of Jesus and help them understand how he has called us to become fishers of men, to not fear man. It's going to happen. You're going to find fear. So this is exactly the process of discipleship, I believe, that Jesus says we, we need to be engaged in when making disciples of all people so that we can overcome lesser fears. In the course of doing ministry, almost 24 years, I've talked to a lot of professing believers. And I've talked to many, not all, but many, many, who told me that they've never confessed Jesus before men, ever. They want to, but there's a paralyzing fear that overcomes them. And what I say to them is I, I say, I can relate. <laughs> I've been there. I've probably to some degree at some point been likened unto Peter. Maybe not that graphic. But when it was an explicit opportunity and it shied away. Been there. And so you take them to the word and you bring encouragement and hope through the scriptures and you let them understand that they need to not fear the lesser fears, but instead learn to fear the Lord and let that be a compelling reason for why they confess Jesus before men. And so in making this personal, this is basically how we become those in verse 27 that are proclaimers from, even upon what I said, the housetops, right? In other words, don't let anybody silence your voice. Know whose you are in relationship to God. Don't let anyone silence your voice. Secondly, when we fear God and not men, it will show itself in our willingness to forsake everything for Christ's sake when called upon to do so. Notice verse 34 through 36. Do not think that I came to bring, to bring peace on the earth. <laughs> this is Jesus. I should have put this in red. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, and a father against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. This statement here from, from the Lord has to be understood in light of what he's been previously teaching about the promise of persecution. It, ca it, it cannot be removed from this context of being 
sent out in, into the, into the, as sheep into the midst of wolves and the entire context that we're, we've previously been working our way through. For, for those who willingly identify with Christ and his gospel message need to realize that their persecutors, he's saying, might be the members of their own household. Which could cause enough fear to strike within our hearts to cause our mouths to be silent when instead we need to speak. You see, rather than wrongly thinking that the preaching of the kingdom was to usher in a time of peace for the children of God, we see Jesus teaching that laboring in the harvest of lost souls is going to come at a high cost and perhaps even the, the, the cost of the division and dividing of family one from another. Jesus is letting them know that particular division, conflict, and perhaps even death. See where it says right there, sword, but a sword. It's not a wooden literal sword. It's the, the idea of potential death may even result as a result of being a faithful confessor. Who, by the way, if you're a faithful confessor and it costs you your life, and you stand before the Father, and Jesus is going to say, what? I know, I know this one right here. This is one of your special children right here. He didn't even have to tell him what he did. You already know. He confessed you before men, and it cost him his life. In the process of losing his life, you gained it. We're going to get to there in just a second. You see that the kingdom message of repentance and faith is confrontational. Um, I don't need to see a show of hands. Have, how many of you have been around the proverbial Thanksgiving table when the family shows up once a year and you sometimes feel like the only one, maybe, that if you speak, if people are saying, hey, how, how, is, how has it been going over the last year? And they say all kinds of things, and when it gets to you, it's like, my life is, cons is kind of consumed with Christ, with his church, with God's people, and I've seen so many blessings of the Lord. Am I going to tell and testify to the goodness of God around the Thanksgiving table or around the Christmas party or whatever it may be when the family gathers? We have, we have simple, low-lying fruit areas in our life, and we have some others that are diff more difficult, but listen, that message of repentance and faith is confrontational, and it will, at some point, fracture and divide the nearest and dearest of human relationships. Don't be afraid to lose human relationships with mother or father or son or daughter. Do not be afraid of losing said relationships if it's for the cause of Christ. Don't lose them because you're being that person we talked about last week. The difficult person to get along because you're just difficult. But if it's over the purpose of Jesus Christ, be, are you willing? Are you willing to do that? Some of us love family so much. Some of us love children so much that we will bend and flex and overlook and be silent about everything because we don't want to, to harm relationship. Jesus is saying that's, that, that's probably not going to be possible. Remember, he's just picking up on what we saw last time in 1021, or two weeks ago. A brother will betray, will betray brother to death. And a father, his child, and children will rise up against their parents. Inconceivable, we think. Well, in certain cultures, this happens very 
aggressively and actively. In our culture, not as aggressively or actively, but it can and, and sever relationships within our culture. Um, and in many cultures, it, it does lead to them becoming martyrs for Christ. It seems that the restatement of this very harsh reality is for the purpose of, in, in essence, sizing, one's, sizing up one's ultimate loyalties. Where do your ultimate loyalties lie? He could have listed other individuals, but he went right to the heart of family. Where are ultimate loyalties lying? Is it with others or is it with Christ? And we see this very specifically in verse 37. Notice he says, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He just puts the cookies on the bottom shelf. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Jesus tells his disciples that if their love for father or mother or son or daughter is more than their love for him, they're not worthy of Christ. They're not worthy of being a disciple. It's, it's to a certain degree, the idea of, of not having what it takes. Uh, it clearly indicates that they do not understand the value of the offer of the free forgiveness of sins and the need of repentance for those that, must repent in order to enter into the kingdom of heaven. One commentator said it well. He said, a believer's commitment to Christ is so profound and far-reaching that any relationship that endangers that relationship must be sacrificed if necessary. A worthy disciple is one willing to forsake all family ties if need be, for the sake of Christ. Could that be said of you? Could that be said of me? Have we placed a value of Christ above all things? Matthew 6.33. We are to be those who seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And other things will be added unto us. Other things, relationships, ice cream, fast cars, whatever, golf, knitting, whatever, other things, temporal things. Those things can be greatly enjoyed too. But if we don't seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, if we love things, family greater than him, he says we're not worthy to be his disciples. And then he extends that one step further in verse 38. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Now, oftentimes, uh, love of one's own life, um, love of one's own self-interest, uh, just the love of self, personal dreams, uh, plans, things that I want to do, is the greatest hindrance to being truly worthy of Jesus. We've, we... We say that, yeah, well, I see what Jesus is calling me to do, but I've got dreams too. And we put our dreams and aspirations somehow on like a level par with the eternal God of heaven who says, I've got a plan for my children to save people. Listen, your little temporal life here, if it lasts 90 years, is just but a speck. But all eternity and the joys that will be there forever and ever in relationship with God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, how that works out, we can't even imagine how beautiful that's going to be. And then all the redeemed from all the ages past in the relationships and the joy that we will share on those endless golf courses in eternity. Is there going to be anybody to, to be a confessor for? 
We'll just be we'll be we'll just be talking about the greatness of God to a certain degree, right? But in the eternal state, after that millennial reign, and it's ushered into an eternal state. Let let's not get confused and and, and sink everything into this little temporal piece of land we have on earth and dreams and aspirations of doing little trinkets of things live for something far greater than that because the time's coming forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever where you will live with the father and the redeemed forever live for that fear him who can kill the body and cast soul into hell don't don't go to hell trust in christ listen if you're here this morning and you've never really put your faith in christ Maybe, maybe you're, you're seeing passages like this and you're, and you're, and you're being honest with yourself and, and that's what we have to be. I'm not asking you to be publicly saying your stuff, but just in being honest with yourself, if you're kind of thinking to yourself, that, that, this doesn't describe me. I kind of would like it to, but I know that it doesn't. I know that I haven't ever been. I know that I'm not a confessor. I, I think we have to take the teaching of Jesus very seriously and ask ourselves, again, is this, is this me, Lord? Listen, when I came to faith at 20 years old, I had walked an aisle, said a prayer, got baptized, probably rededicated my life, I don't know, I'm going to say five, six different times from the age of 10 till I got out of high school. Every time I went to a summer camp, I would rededicate because I was living like I shouldn't be but I, I wanted the streets of gold, but I wanted to live like hell here. But whenever God opened my eyes to see truth when I was 20 years old, I remember saying something like this, Lord, I, I don't know what happened with all of that, like when I was 10 and all these rededications. I, I can't make sense of all that because when I look at it and I'm honest, I realized my life didn't change. I just had a, an understanding, a, a head knowledge of who you were. But what I do know is right now, I'm wanting to make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life and I'm never turning away from you again. And I planted my flag. Maybe there's some of you here this morning that just need to replant your flag today. I don't know. You know. And if you sense a tugging of the Lord at your heart level, you know that, that today could be a day of salvation even. Saying this is who I want to be. I want to be someone who takes up a cross and follows after Jesus. Now, in this culture, the idea of, of um, taking up a cross, he who does not take his own cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. The, the idea of um, anyone living in Palestine under, under Roman rule they were well aware of what crosses were for they weren't cool jewelry items that we hung around the neck yet um and it's okay to wear cool crosses around the neck because we're saying publicly i've been crucified with christ when we hang that cross around the neck we put it on display y'all see dion's big old cross I told lisa get me one of those for christmas it's coming. <laughs> We're saying, I've, I've, I'm identified with Christ. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. That's, that's what a public demonstration we're putting forth, right? It was, a, it was a form of execution. 
A cross was a known commodity for execution, suffering, persecution, pain. So when Jesus is saying to his disciples, he who does not take up his cross and follow after me, it's cl- they, they would not have been confused at all that Jesus was saying that what you're about to do is going to be the hardest thing you've ever done in your life. It will come with pain and suffering and potentially persecution that leads unto death. We've seen him state these things very clearly. But if you're not willing to do that, is not worthy of being one of Christ's disciples. And so, again, this is one of these sayings of Jesus where we say this is one of the hard statements of Christ. Pastor Ben, are you saying that Jesus is... Is is Jesus saying here that not being worthy of him is equated to not truly being a believer and a follower of him? Could I be a closet Christian? Never go public with my faith? Always kind of have a fear of man and tremble and, well, God understands and just kind of live in that space? I, I believe. I, I believe in God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I've believed those things. I said the prayer. I walked the aisle. But if I'm not willing to really take up my cross or lose relationships with father or mother or son or daughter or cousins or aunts and uncles or grandma and grandpa and and I'm not willing to potentially lay down my own interests, die to my own interests and take up a cross to be publicly identified with Jesus. Is that saying that 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 not being worthy of him is that equated to not being a follower of his? The closest and nearest antecedent that we have in the text showed that those who are confessors, he says, I'm going to confess you before the Father. Those who deny, I'm not going to confess you before the Father. So was he saying there that those who aren't going to be, uh, those who will be denied before the Father, that that's individuals who wouldn't be saved? Without saying it out loud, what say you? Just looking very simply and logically at the text. <laughs> what say you? I'm going to leave it there. But what I can tell you for certain is that I don't want to gamble my life, my soul, my eternity. I don't want to go there with my fingers crossed wishing on a prayer that this is just meaning that I'm going to get there and he's going to say, he wasn't a worthy one, but go ahead and come in. I'm denying him. He denied me. I'm denying him. But hey, it's okay. Come on in. Maybe that happens. I'm not, I'm not, going, to, I'm not going there. What say you? Stakes are high. Can you feel it? This is why this is in the section of some of the hard teaching of Jesus. That we as those who are followers of Jesus need to come to grips with, think through, process, and then again, perhaps if, as if for the first time, make a decision about life. Who's my Lord? And then we go from there.
we can do this with knowledge of knowing something very profound. Jesus didn't end here. He gave him one more verse. He said, he who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake. Well done, good and faithful servant. So if I send my boy out to the, into the pasture, two acres, and I say, cut the grass, and he comes back, he says, ah, I got tired. And I look out there, and he's only cut about a third of an acre. Well done, good and faithful. I'm not going to say well done. What? I'm going to say <laughs> get, get back out and repent. Get back out there and finish cutting the yard. Right? So maybe we just need to be like, repent, get back out there and let your light shine. You need to know that um, if you lose your life now for Christ's sake, you find it for all eternity. You know this. You, you know these truths. These are some of the dear and near truths near to the believer's heart, right? And so we need to be those that live this way. One commentator said, when, only when we are willing to sacrifice our life and the relationships to our family for the sake of Jesus do we begin to live. Think about that. Only when we are willing to sacrifice our life and the relationships to our family for the sake of Jesus do we begin to live. You want to live? Who wants to live? I want to live. I want my life to count. Jesus is telling us exactly how we live to make it count. And when we get to this place, that's when we truly begin to live. But if the prospect of martyrdom or alienation from family leads us to renounce Jesus, we lose our life even while trying to save it. Have you heard of Jim Elliott? Familiar with Jim Elliott? A young missionary married with one daughter, deeply committed to getting the gospel deep into the jungles of Ecuador. His life was cut short at the end of a spear of an Alka Indian while attempting to make personal contact for the first time with this group that they've been trying to reach. In his journal, these were the kinds of things that he was praying. God, I pray thee, light these idle sticks of my life that I may burn for thee. Consume my life, my God, for it is thine. I seek not a long life, but a full one like you. Lord Jesus. Jim Elliot understood the high cost of following Jesus. He followed and obeyed Jesus' teaching of seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness above all things, including his wife and his young daughter, his mom, his dad, his friends. He counted the cost and he put all of those things as secondary to knowing Jesus Christ and his life. Isn't that beautiful? It is. You feel the fear? <laughs> I feel it and I'm, I've been feeling it all week because it's real. We carry around fears of things that we need not fear. Fear not man who can kill the body or give you a little ridicule or some shame. We've got to fear God, church. We've got to have compassion like Jesus had compassion for a lost world. 
And we've got to go let our light shine. You are the light of the world. Let it shine. In closing, I had a good friend, Seth Daniel, bring a book to my attention a couple weeks back. Got a copy, read through it in the next day. It's real small. I mean, it's, I've bought about 20 copies of these. I'm recommending them for you to read. It's titled, It Will Cost You Everything. They're out back door, bookshelf on the left. If you can kick in five bucks for them, kick in five bucks. If you don't have the money, don't worry about it. All the other resources we get out there, we give away. I want to get a resource into your hand. If they run out today, uh, go to um, go somewhere and get it. And this is so apropos to ask you to read as we're finishing up some of the hardest teachings of Christ in Matthew 10. It will cost you everything. Are you willing to follow?